Welcome back, ladies and gents. I'm Gene. I'm Steph. This is Let's View It Again, and we're back for another week. Still in the 80s. Yep. Enjoying the 80s. Um, today's movie is a um, personal favorite. It's one of those feel-good Christmas movies. Ain't that I right? Yes. <laughs> it's the backdrop. Yeah, yeah. If you hadn't noticed, we're talking about 1988's Die Hard. Yes. Uh, starring one Bruce Willis. The the one prototypical. Yeah, <laughs> one and only Bruce Willis. What, what what can you say about that guy? Oh, uh, Steph, did you have any thoughts on initial rewatch? Nothing. I mean, anything that you want to clear up before we jump into it? Uh, no, not really. Um, just the I think typical it, corny cop movie, I guess yeah. you could say. I guess it goes without saying that this is copaganda. <laughs> Would you agree? Uh, let's get into it first. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's that... Uh, as per usual, anytime police officers are presented on screen, it's usually to uplift them. They're just Hollywood's job. So that was my only uh, thought on initial rewatch. I've seen it many times. Did you watch this a lot coming up? Or I don't know a lot. Um, like I said, uh, you know, one of those TNT, TBS, USA movies. You know, they were always show Seems action movies. Seems to be a, a theme as of late with us. It All is. these 80s I just, movies. I just remember those were the movie channels. You know, if you didn't have HBO, like TBS, Which we did not. TNT, they always played movies from my recollection. True that, true um, that. But like owning it, no. Um, but yes, I had seen it before, so. Gotcha. So you were familiar. All the diehards. And you're familiar with, uh, what is your favorite diehard of the series? I don't think I, I would have to watch them again. Okay. It's number uh, three. To That's say, the best one. What's the best one to me? Number three. It's okay. I'm asking for than both. the first one. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking for both of them. So it's better than the first Yes, it has Samuel L. Jackson, so yeah. that goes without saying. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we'll jump into that when we do. Um, let's read it again. We love the 90s, I guess. Anyway, a few f- facts about Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard was filmed between November 1987 and March 1988. It was shot on a $28 million budget and returned for $140 million at the box office. Um, pretty good return, I suppose. I don't... It wasn't an obscene amount as far as uh, budget is concerned. Some other films from the era, Aliens, they had they filmed for $17 million. Lethal Weapon... 15 million so it's not really uh crazy i guess if you consider double the budget crazy i don't know yeah how much was it uh this was 28 million somewhere in that range it, it had 25 to 35 but i did see a, a solid number at 28 million i guess uh, all the destruction i, I mean i don't know you yeah know the movie takes place in one building i guess I, w- would you think that a 30 million dollar budget is is uh would you consider that outside the norm when other comparable films are around $18, $17 million? Not really. I mean, when you said Aliens was 17, 17 million, Lethal Weapon was $15 million. I would have thought Aliens... Just being just, a sci-fi movie? Yeah, would cost and more. It, yeah, I guess that's why... I, just getting your input on it, because but, uh, it didn't seem crazy, but then you think about... Uh, Comparable movies that did seem to have more effects. Yeah, I would have thought those. So I'll be interested to know what they spending on. What the breakdown is. 
Yeah, know. I couldn't find that, but I will say, I'll jump ahead in my little facts here, that they shot, um, all this was shot essentially on location. Mm-hmm. They shot in Fox Plaza in Los Angeles, which was, um, it was an unfinished building. Well, that That's, was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, I guess they only used one miniature um, set, and that was the the rooftop explosion, not to jump too far ahead. But other than that, they were mostly shooting indoors inside the building. And I think the director, which I'll get into, his name is John McTiernan, he did a great job of shooting within the building. Some of the pieces, like when they were in the offices, that wasn't a real skyline. They did like a 300-foot mural. Hmm. So it was like a painting of a skyline. But it feels... I, I would have to go back to see the parts, but it feels uh I don't know, the, the location fits. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a stage because it isn't a stage. But the lighting is good. Uh I do have some favorite, I guess, scenes as far as uh, you know, like technical go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh I think he did a great great job. But anyway, back to the movie. It's based on a novel called uh Nothing Lasts Forever. Was, I didn't know that. You did not know that? I didn't. Yeah. Glad we TBS didn't tell me that. It, <laughs> TBS is not known for the facts. That's pop up video stuff. And I, I, that would be great for movies. I would watch that if they did pop up video Let, for listen, movies. We're gonna do that. Stop. Delete that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, <laughs> oh, this was the, the novel was written by a former police officer called called a former police officer named Roderick Thorpe. Uh, it was directed, the film was directed by John McTiernan. He had just come off a, a successful 1987 with Predator. Uh, McTiernan also directed The Hunt for Red October, The Thomas Crown Affair, which, is it that a Timberland album title? What is wrong with Timberland? Didn't he name what, himself what The Thomas Crown Affair? Didn't he name his album Thomas Crown Affair? I don't know. I guess we have to I'm, insert it here. <laughs> I, I'm pretty certain. Uh, but he did that. As well as one of my other favorite movies, The Last Action Hero, which I guess is a spoof, satirical mm-hmm. take on action movies, but it's so good. This the first time I learned about 360 and 180 degrees. So who we need to send? <laughs> we need to send <laughs> that to everyone because the guy... In the movie, and I feel like I talked about this on the podcast, but anyway, the guy pretty much used it like people use it incorrectly. He was like, uh, uh yes. I did a, a 360, and the guy was like, Well, you're gonna just end up right back where you started. And I was a child, and I was like, Oh, that's what that means. So, yes, movies so, are informational if yes. you use them in that capacity. If you want to make a post about your progress, <laughs> don't say that you did a 360 because you will end up in the same place. That's what he did on the movie. It's a circle. Right what was that movie? I can't. Who? Kung Fu Panda? Oh, I can't think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But you didn't do a 360 <laughs> if you made a change. No. Um, you did a 180, hopefully. You went the other way, beloved. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That was, I'm glad we had that break. Uh, the film, I think the film's legacy lives on in most post-80s films. They kind of strayed away from muscle-bound guys to the everyman. Bruce Willis kind of filled that. Bro, you know, uh, before this, we had Schwarzenegger and Stallone who filled a lot of the macho action roles. And then we got into this. And I, Lethal Weapon did come out the year before this. And we had Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in the action roles. But as you can see, movies went away from necessarily the muscle-bound guys. You know, something like like Predator with 
Yeah. A bunch of Still muscle bound action, guys. And Bill Duke. A certain physique, I guess you would say. Yeah, so he he I guess he had that uh the typical every man I guess, I don't even know what you call it. It's not a syndrome. But demeanor. Um uh, the role was offered to Sly Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Burt Reynolds and Frank Sinatra, if you wanted some. <laughs> I did that purposely to see your reaction. How old was Frank? Frank Sinatra, Sinatra was 70 at, at the time. But, Why interesting he... tidbit. All right. The novel is the second part of a series by the same writer. Frank Sinatra played the detective in the previous novel. I guess sort of like Jack Ryan or something. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the series. So, Sinatra, he played that detective on screen? Yes. And, of course, but I had to. I had to think about it. <laughs> yeah, so I I've never heard of Frank Sinatra. No. Oh. Um. Just never heard of him being, I guess, an action or detect. I, I just I have I mean, no way ahead of, of our time for so. Frank Sinatra. But beyond that's not something. Did he sing? Uh, when the moon hits you, like a. Well, on, what? How's it go? I don't know. When the know. light hits you, I like the moon in the sky. That's Samori. Okay. I feel like we're everywhere early, and I love it. Oh, <laughs> back to what I was saying. Frank Sinatra, since he played that guy, the studio had bought rights to the entire series. Okay. Contractually, they had to offer it to oh. Frank Sinatra. So it's so kind of like makes a, more sense. He, they didn't really think he was going to be John McClane, but it would be hilarious if he was. Liam Neeson did it. He was, I know, 82 when he did take it. <laughs> at, at the very least. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned it down to do Twins with Danny DeVito. I just wanted to throw that in there. But Twins made $216 million at the box office, so maybe it was on to something. All right. Yeah, turn. <laughs> I took a detour then. Frank Sinatra. Did you think Frank Sinatra was going to make a detour? A detour is a detour. Did you think Frank Sinatra was going to make an appearance today? No. Okay. Okay. I'm glad I could surprise you. Um, Just a few of our stars. Of course, we have Bruce Willis um, playing John McClain. We know recently the news has come out that he's now retired, unfortunately, due to a dementia uh, diagnosis. Apparently, he was born on a German military base. Huh. So, he's a German. Well, no. Oh. I guess you're an American. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's what I found. Um, His first credit was uh, playing a P.I. um, for uh, a movie called Moonlighting. Isn't that a a television series? Or was it a series? I think it's a series. Well, Moonlight. Somebody's going to be incorrect. Either I'm going to get the ding or you're going to get the ding. (laughs) Okay. My answer is a a television series. Okay. Moonlighting, (laughs) he plays a P.I. And his next role, from what I found, was actually Die Hard. So that was uh, three years between 85 for Moonlighting and 88 for Die Hard. In the 90s, we have, of course, two more Die Hards, uh, (laughs) two more Die Hard movies, uh, Pulp Fiction, Fifth Element, mm-hmm. which I love, Sixth mm-hmm. Sense, which I guess you could say is a departure from his typical roles because Sixth Sense it, it's not an action movie. Well, I don't, uh, I don't know if that was his. It obviously wasn't his first series work because he was in the Stepford Wives, wasn't he? In the nineties, wasn't he? 
Isn't it the nineties? Mm. I, I, I just pulled out some. Pulled out um, he has a lot of credits, of course. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, especially in the later years. In the two thousands, uh, he had uh, starred in the whole nine yards. I know you said that's one of your favorites. Yes. Unbreakable, uh, Sin City, more Die Hard. Um, so yes, he has a lot of credits. Um, we have Alec. Excuse me, Alan Rickman, who plays Hans Gruber in Die Hard. He's an English actor, director. Um, I found that apparently he had a graphic design business before he went, I guess you say, into <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, I think he had it with friends. It was a, you know, he owned with someone, his friends called Graffiti. Um, 26 years old, he began his professional acting career. Um, his first movie role, from what I read, was Die Hard. Huh. Um, I guess you say one of the most notable uh, is Professor Snape. He plays Professor Snape in the Harry Potter series. Not familiar with Harry Potter. Uh, I take your word for it. Well, if you see the character, you see, oh, that's that's him. That's Alan Rickman, just dark, long that, hair. Is that the only thing he, beyond those two, really? I, I didn't know if he was in the other stuff. Yes, he has a lot more credits. Oh, okay, I'm okay. just saying, as of late. The most famous role Harry is Harry Potter be the one. Or Professor Snape on hair probably be the one that multiple generations know him yes, for. They're not going to know, know Hans Gruber. No, but they will. <laughs> but Harry Potter made a billion yeah. dollars. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I'm the only, I'm the lone man out there. I was just too old for Harry Potter at the time, so it's not anything against Harry. Yeah, Potter. Yeah, I remember it being out people, you know, going crazy. Oh, like I never read the books or anything. I never just wanted to read it. You but, watch the movie. Uh, all of them probably not, but you but know, probably just saw it on TV. But yeah, I just back on TVs. Probably, <laughs> I don't remember just going crazy about Harry Potter. But yeah, I guess you were a bit too old at was, the time too. Not really. No. I just don't remember going oh, I'm crazy just an about old person. it. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Bonnie Bedelia Culkin, American actress who plays Holly McLean, John McLean, McLean's wife uh, in Die Hard One and Two. Her married name Culkin. I know you've heard that before. She's apparently Macaulay Culkin's aunt. Um, her first credit that I saw was a dancing role in a TV production of Nutcracker in 1958. So In 58? That's what How I How old is she? Oh, maybe she was a child. Yeah, I okay. mean, she started they, young. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, apparently she started on this road uh, well before Die Hard. Yeah. Was 30 years late in 88. Um, she has a credit for... Uh, a CBS soap opera called Love of Life in the 60s, 1961 through 67. And lately, um, she made a guest appearance on a Netflix series called What If in 2019. That was the latest one that I found. So she could have been doing more since then, but she's apparently still working from what I can tell. And finally... We have Reginald Vale Johnson. The real star of the movie. American actor from Queens, New York. He plays Al Powell in Die Hard 1 and 2. Uh, most notable role, I'm sure, for most is Carl Winslow on Family Matters sitcom. Um, the first credit that I saw was for a musical drama in 1979 called When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. <laughs> That draw you in. Awesome title. Uh, it was billed as a celebration of the joy and survival of black music, song, and poetry since the days of the Civil War. Um, so, yeah. Some good facts, man. Uh, you, so you do really good. The other person they had doing this was terrible. <laughs> they went off on tangents and talked about Frank Sinatra. Glad you fired that guy. 
Fired what guy? Oh, you. I'm oh, sorry. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was uh, focusing on it's the okay. next It's part. okay. Go ahead. Tell the people, <laughs> tell the people about 1988. Yes. Uh, quick synopsis from my favorite IMDb. They just get to the point. Uh, as you can tell, yes, I'm that first. You're, yeah. You love getting <laughs> to the point. That's I, what this is yin and yang. This is yin and yang. Yeah. Push and pull. Right? So a New York City police officer tries to save his estranged wife and several others taken hostage by terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza Correct. in Los Angeles. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's. Die hard, hard to die, hard to die, hard to kill, hard to kill. This movie that, that is a, a a BG line. So John McClane was the original hot boy gangster giggity. <laughs> boy, hard to kill. All right, okay. I didn't know that the hot boy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a, that's a thing. We always have a good musical reference. Though. I know that's right. That's what we're gonna hit y'all with DVD, CDs, CD? Master P, Charlie's Angel CD? next week. Take Charles a break. Angel? Tired of talking to y'all for an hour. I lie. I love talking, as you can tell. Go ahead, Steph. <laughs> All right. So it opens up. Um, we have passengers on a plane. We see John McClane. I don't think we know his name at this time, but we know, you know, it's John McClane. It's Bruce Willis. Um, there's another uh, passenger um, sitting beside him. We see the passenger or hear the passenger give some advice about being nervous on the plane. Um, he advises him to take off his shoes and make a fist with his toes when uh, he gets to the destination. Which is ridiculous. I don't even know what that means. I'm assuming that's in the novel somewhere because how would that help you with being nervous now? I guess anxiety after a flight mm. but definitely don't take your shoe off <laughs> on the plane don't take your shoes off at the hotel either in the carpet Mm-mm. walk around some flip-flop yes oh uh, the when john mcclain he stands up his gun is flashed you know he gives the the line you know it's okay i'm a cop trust me i've been doing this for 11 years there we go. They just <laughs> they just wanted to give us a little background well, you, info. It started out early. Don't don't be alone. Yes, don't be Bruce alone. Willis I'm a cop. Is trust here me. to save us all. Exactly. Uh, so he lands in L.A. Um, has a limo. So uh, I mean, I guess he's not doing too bad. Well, I, how I wife, took uh, well, that's what I, I took it that his okay. wife's company sent it. Okay, yeah. that, that makes sense because she seems to be doing well. Because you know you don't, you can't get paid you can't get a limo on a cop's budget on a uh, cop's salary. We know that. Come on. All right. Uh, <laughs> so apparently there's a company Christmas party. He's on his way to his wife's uh, job. You know, they are having this conversation um, on the way to the building, right? That his wife works in. Holly. Nakatomi. Yes, Nakatomi. Um, apparently he's in New York. You know, he's he's landing from New York in L.A. Right. Um, he has lived there for, excuse me, uh, his family has been there in LA for six months. He stayed back in New York. You know, the limo driver's like, you know, why are you, why, you know, why are you to see your wife? Yeah. Y'all should be together, especially um, at Christmas. Why, why are you just getting here? Right. So he's telling the limo driver that, uh, there is a backlog of cases in New York. 
And, um, you know, the limo driver trying to kind of, you know, push pushes back on that, you know, saying that uh, McLean just thought that what his wife came to do, the Wasn't offer important. wouldn't last yeah, long. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. He, yeah, essentially not imp- not important enough for him to leave with their with young the, children that we find out. He has later. two of them. He has two young children. They were both little girls, I think. I know it was a little boy and a little girl. It was a little boy yeah, and a little yeah, girl. Yeah. Maybe the girl was the only one that talked. She, but, correct. Uh, she don't want to get paid for a speaking role in this movie. Yes. Yeah, so he stayed back to take care of the New York streets. I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, Such a. Nobody else. You know what? I, I've never loved the job that much. That you let your family go <laughs> across. Even if they were the horrible on. kids, you could still say, you know what? Maybe I'll go because New York is a far away, uh, far away from uh, Los Angeles, and this is the eighties. We don't even have internet, so you can't even talk to them. But you said there's a, it's a case backlog, and only me, John McClain, can work them. But I would let them criminals go myself to go. <laughs> To LA with my family. New York's horrible. It's cold. Why you want to go to where palm trees are? And less crime it would seem. Nobody has a six month back. Well, I'll take that back. We're about to get into the crime. Go ahead. Yeah, but uh, even before that, you know, we see that there's some trouble because uh, Holly McClain, you know, his wife makes a call and, and the little girl is asking if daddy's going to come home with mommy. Um, she turns around and she places a family pick down. So, you know, there's some tension. She hates John. His <laughs> yeah. stinking guts. Um, Just I'm going to stay in New York. Yeah. He has a mistress. I'm sure of it. Say it again. He has a mistress. You just don't bring it up. Crime. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) The streets of New York are my only mistress. Yes. (laughs) Is that that a good detective voice? That's what we're going to say. But yeah, we we get it set up that he's away from his family. He's coming in to see them. And, you know, they're estranged. Right, right. Did you notice, uh, for all the people who are still debating whether this is a Christmas movie or not, the first song we hear uh, is Christmas in Hollis by one run DMC. It's definitely a Christmas mm-hmm. movie. It's taking place during Christmas. They play Christmas mu- music throughout. Stop it's, being ridiculous. It's, it's a Christmas it's movie. It's a backdrop, but it's way, way back yeah. there. Uh, this could have been any time. It very well could have. I, I, and, and glad you said that. The Whoever owned the rights to it, once they started writing, they made them keep. I think the director wanted to change it. But he was like, no. Change. The time of year. And they was like, no. It the one thing that has to change that has to stay is it's going to be Christmas. I don't know why. I think it was the the dichotomy of extreme violence, which this movie isn't crazy about it, but uh, set against Christmas. You know, I, I think that's what they were going the for. Just just a position, if you will. Uh, interesting note about the music. Also, I found I know Steph that you noticed that throughout they were constantly playing the Old to Joy Beethoven's Symphony. No. You, do you know what song I'm speaking of? No. That is not the one. Oh, okay. You know, you know, you know I, that's that song? That's something that you heard uh, throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's it's as attention. much of a character of the movie as anything else because they, depending on when you hear it, the tones is up and down. Like when the German, I'm going to skip ahead. There are Germans in this movie. When the Germans are around, they play it in like a hunting, low tone. And other times it's, it's cheerful, which I I, I'm, I know I'm off on a tangent again. But the 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 song Ode to Joy is apparently a, a protest song. Did not know this. Worldwide, mostly that's what it's known for. But I did not see 
when you hear that song, do you think of Christmas now? Sort of, kind of? I don't know. I, I do. And there's no reference to it prior to Die Hard being a Christmas song. When the holidays come, I hear it, you know, I hear it on commercials just to bum, 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 bum. Uh, yeah, well... But, yeah, I it's have, not a uh, it's a it's a uh, protest song, and the only Christmas reference I could find. Well, interestingly enough, the Japanese use it as a Christmas song, and they have since 1946. But it was after the war they did it when, uh, like I say, since it has "Ode to Joy," they use it "Ode to Freedom," blah blah blah. So they and use it. The, the this company that his wife is Japanese, Japanese. That's why I say interesting enough. Yeah, so yeah, is yeah. that something they just tried to put it? Because I, I don't he know says something. Somebody says something. I, I wish I now. I wish I had known this. I guess, but whatever. It's, it's still an interesting fact. When they is it John? Is somebody at the Christmas party that says something about the fact that that he's Japanese that's at a, Christmas? Who was that? That's when uh, John. I'm, I'm about to get into. Okay, like, go ahead. We're, we're okay. Too, but it's now John, that you say, yeah, that. I think. Well, I think it'll be you. But it's yeah, it's John uh, mentions it. Let me get back on the rails here. I apologize. Oh, to joy. <laughs> uh, John does get to the building eventually after I stop talking he walks into the building he's looking for Holly and the security guard tells him to check out the directory you can find anybody you want in the building by the directory he finds it but he finds that and her floor that she's on which is the 30th floor just remember that that's what everyone's here this is what everything takes place the 30th floor or the roof or the 30th second floor <laughs> anyway she's using her maiden name John is taken aback by this um uh, the security guard does mention that the 30th floor people are the only people in the building. It's otherwise empty. He then meets Mr. Takagi, which is Holly's boss. Uh, and I don't, I don't think he owns the company because he mentions another name. So, but he's like the, the high up guy. Mr. Mm -hmm. Takagi shows John, um, Holly's office. And this is where the part you were speaking of, uh, John is, uh, it's like, Hey man, you're having a Christmas party. I didn't think Japanese people, celebrated christmas which i don't i mean is that a thing i mean they're christians in, in japan yeah what are you talking about john anyway uh ellis walks yeah. in we're introduced to him ellis is uh holly's co-worker he had he was flirting with her uh, a little bit before john walked in but nonetheless he's Creepy. he's he's a creep <laughs> but we walk into the when they walk into holly's office ellis is snorting coke off the desk and that is how we are introduced to him yes. being annoying and a cokehead which are not mutually exclusive, I suppose. But uh, at the end of the scene, we do see uh, trucks pulling up with the Ode, of Joy, Ode to Joy playing. They are pulling up to Nakatomi Plaza. That is a sign of bad news, buddy. Yes. Uh, would you say when a truck pulls up? When a truck pulls up with Ode <laughs> to Joy playing. The party has started already. Yeah. And it's an armored truck. Yeah. Or armored-ish. It's not like a delivery truck. And it's Christmas Eve, so... Nobody's supposed to be on the street. That lets you know. They're up to something. So, yeah, um, these men, I guess you say intruders, they enter, they kill the security guard. Security guard. So if you had any doubt about their, uh, <laughs> their intentions, their intentions, uh, yeah, they kill the security guards. Uh, you see more men exit the truck while another one overrides the uh, elevators in the security system. Um, you want to mention who that is? Oh, I didn't get his real name. Trevet. But he plays Trevet. <laughs> From Walker, Walker Texas, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I think it's like Charles Gilliard or something like that. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Maybe we'll put Trevet. that here. His name is uh, Trevet. But that's where I knew him from. I don't know what his other credits are, but immediately from Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, 
Yeah, uh, we hear some German, so. Nein. Yes, uh, <laughs> some of these <laughs> men are German. Um, so John, um, we see him take that advice that the passenger gave him when he does uh, kind of get settled in um, a restroom at the building and he makes a fist with his toes Correct. in the carpet. Uh, so I guess he's anxious about a lot <laughs> at this point. Um, being that, you know, he gets there, you know, his wife has gone back to the maiden name. Yeah. He's kind of taking it back. Did you have, I mean, they did, they had a little talk uh, between themselves. Did you have that on you? When they, Oh, he's anxious. Yeah, um, he comes in. There's a man that he sees is clearly uh, smitten or something. <laughs> he's something. He's interested in his wife. So you know, maybe he's feeling like the six he's, months. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Me a That's lot what you get. The streets of New York have kept me away from a true love. Is that a pirate? I just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so uh, the phone lines are cut, right? That's, yes. That's one of the first, like in every movie, you know, somebody intrudes. It's a smart move. Yeah, if I had to take over Nakatomi Plaza, that'd be the first thing I did. I wouldn't have shot the security guard. I never like when they shoot security guards in the movie because it's like, bro, I mean, they only making like $5. Yeah. He would have he gave you the keys. Believe well, me. Well, yeah, it's like they could have just been hostages like the rest of them. But, but he is shot in the face. No the questions end. asked. Yeah, so they crashed the party. With machine guns, so yeah, again, that's one way to crash a party. <laughs> they went straight Got to the it. Gun up uh, in my waist, please don't shoot up the place. Why? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were gonna finish it. Um, oh, is it, is it my girl? Yeah. Okay, they they shoot up everything, making noise with the machine guns. Oh. Uh, that's when the big bad guy, the head guy, steps from the elevator and he addresses the entire room and says, this is all due to Nakatomi's legacy of greed. These are employees, my man. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> but anyway, he said they will be taught a lesson about power this evening. So they take Mr. Takagi and uh, uh, they take him extra hostage because they've already got everybody as a hostage, but he's the extra special hostage. And they es- escort him up to what I'm assuming is the executive suite. I'm not sure. But, uh, John has escaped. When he heard the, the machine guns, he escaped. He rolled out without his, without his shoes, mind you. I guess he didn't have time to grab them. But he is also going upstairs, uh, and he sees the terrorists moving missiles. We get a little glimpse of that. But um, they're the main terrorist guy, the big bad terrorist guy, and everyone is basically there interrogating Mr. T- uh, Takagi about codes. They want a code to a computer. Takagi is not giving in. Uh, with the password, and then Takagi is like, "Well, what kind of terrorists are you? And you won't. What are you here for? Because you're trying to break and get money. And because uh, Gruber, we know it's Gruber, but the terrorist guy mentions that it's all about the six hundred and forty million dollars in bear bonds in your safe. We need that. We need the password. And that's you know, and Takagi is like, "Well, that's not a terrorist move. Sounds like a bank robber to me." Yeah. Yeah. What kind of terrorist are you? Basically. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so there are some shots. And, of course, as you said, <laughs> there are a lot of shots, right? And McLean hopes that his limo driver, which he told, you know, to stick around. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't mention that earlier, but his limo driver did stick around, Argyle. Um, 
But no, of course, he didn't hear. Um, okay, he that, can I interject? I apologize. I want you to know they shot Mr. Takagi, too. I, I guess I jumped over oh, the top yes, of it. Oh, yes, he's gone. Takagi is dead. The leader is gone. Uh, they shot him. They did not get the password. It's a very ridiculous move. You could have just shot him in the knee. Well, it seemed like you would have gotten him to get whoever, get to whoever they needed for the password. Yeah, yeah. so they like, they killed Takai. They, they prolonged but, this, but it wouldn't be a movie yeah. without it. Right? So moving on, but it could have went another way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, McLean hopes that uh his limo driver heard the shots. He didn't because he was playing loud music. Um. The intruders let uh, us know or, or let them know that they need about three hours to break this code. Right. You know, we always talk Trivette about... Trevette says it. Uh, Trevette, yes, <laughs> from Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, lets us know that and we always talk about that small window the villains always have. There's always a constraint. Or or the protagonist has to overcome whatever yeah, adversity. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not a day, it's just three hours. Um, So there are seven seals to a vault that they have to get through. Right. Or get open. Um, we see McLean pull the fire alarm, which, I mean, I guess he wasn't thinking. It gives away what floor he's on when the fire alarm it's goes not off. Not a very good detective. They can see, they can see which <laughs> alarm went off. Because right, right, this right. building is, I don't know, did they say how many stories it I was? Know. You know it's at least 30. Okay, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the alarm's canceled. Uh, they, you know call and tell the police you know everything's okay and the police turn back yeah i don't know if that was very smart it's not um, he's a bad police officer he probably couldn't leave new york we're not getting the whole story probably was in some kind of uh shenanigans making terrible decisions already mclean maybe so but they turn <laughs> back uh he ends up coming in contact with one of the intruders and you know the intruder tells him, you know, you won't kill me, something to that effect. McLean has his own rules as a as a policeman. Yes, as the terrorist says, you're a police officer. You can't do this. And McLean said, have you not heard of police officers in the United States, German? Yeah. We do what we want. He could have just taken him as a hostage, but... He takes the machine gun. He takes the other goodies that he has, and he sends the intruder down um, to the party's floor. He he broke the intruder's neck. Let's 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 yeah. end with that. They fought, and he broke his neck. So now three people are dead. And he sends him down. His shirt says, "Now I have a machine gun." Ho ho ho. So Such they a good know, scene. They know that uh, there's somebody else in the building that has the ability to shoot back because nobody else has been able, of course, to shoot back. Yeah, they're they're, <laughs> they're surmising that it's a security officer mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, so they're like, let's find a security guard. Let's. I can't do a German next. I'm not going to even try. Let's go. Let's not. Oh, <laughs> uh, John is still slinking about. He's in elevator shafts and because uh, he has sent the guy down. The elevator, the regular way. John is on the top of the elevator like a madman, 
I don't even know what part of detective work that is. He's if you're not understanding what I'm saying, there's a regular way you ride an elevator like you always do. You step inside the doors. John is on the outside on top of the elevator, just surfing. He's doing that. Yes. He hears uh, everyone's name. He's taking notes on his forearm about all the uh, all the terrorists. He hears that he killed Carl with a K. He knows to spell it with a K, mind Not you. Carl Winslow. Not Carl Winslow. This is Carl with a K. We have to d- differentiate. He uh, That he killed his brother. So that other German he killed was has a brother. He's angry now. He he has, he goes to the roof. He tries to head to the roof to use the radio to call the police. This again alerts the terrorists to his presence. John is not thinking. He, they, have yeah. to they are on the same radio that he's using because he took this radio took from it. a German and he gets on and calls the, uh, the cops. The the Germans uh, show up. They're shooting at McLean all wildly, but. Carl with a K has said, don't shoot him. I want to do the killing. Bad move on his part as well. But they're shooting. The call does go over the radio. Uh, the officers hear the shots, and then they say, well, send. Obviously, we only need one person over there. We hear machine guns, but send somebody over there and see what's going on in Dr. Tommy. Yeah. And there's what we get the scene of uh, them radio in, too. Now we are meeting Carl Winslow. Carl Winslow is at a convenience station getting food for his pregnant wife. And one also mentioned that there was a sign, gas was 74 cent mm. at this particular station. That's not important to mention, but I feel like that's a very good price <laughs> for gasoline in 1988 or 1987, yes. rather. But Carl Winslow is on his way to rescue John McClane. And uh, yes, we say Carl Winslow. His name in the movie is Al Powell. So, uh, Carl Winslow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he gets, you know, the calls about the shot uh, shots and he shows up. And, of course, um, they're just saying it's a false alarm. He doesn't do much, I guess you say, detective work. He may have walked a little bit down. I feel him. It's Christmas Eve. I know. A little bit down uh, one of the halls. Um, And he leaves. I also like to note, while he's there, they're still on the roof shooting. They're still (laughs) shooting at John McClane. It's not over. It's it's, it's, it's a, a really it's tall a building. building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, he didn't hear any of that. Like I, they were like breaking table. They it were was doing a, a lot. A John, he killed like three people up there. It's a lot going yeah, on. But on the top floor, you can't hear it on the first floor. I guess not. I mean, it's well insulated building. Yeah, he doesn't ask. Um, I guess say who's in charge. But I guess if you come to the building and it looks and fine, you see security sitting home. there. Yes, it is Christmas or Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. So. He's ready to go home. But uh, when he's leaving, McLean, you know, throws a, a, a man down. And man it, down. It, 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 the body falls on Al Powell slash Carl Winslow's car. <laughs> and um, they begin shooting at him because I guess they say, well, shoot, he knows something going on at this point. If uh, they were going to let him leave, I guess. Yes. I guess. Because, I mean, they could have just shot him in the building. Well, I guess they so wouldn't have because they knew, you know, the police officer, if he didn't turn back up at the station, they'd be like, what happened to Carl Winslow? But that's what I'm saying. Once a body falls, it's like, well, he knows something is happening. So yes, let's sir. make sure he yeah, doesn't yeah, get yeah. away to report this. Um, he because we need three backup. hours at least. Yes, three hours. <laughs> So he begins, you know, calling for backup, and it kind of, I guess you say, picks up from here. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, after he calls for backup, backup does get there rather quickly, if I say so myself. And John, uh, he calls Hans. He has learned his name, Gruber, 
over the radio and tells him that I've killed some more of your men. Uh, what are you going to do about that, buddy? There's no need for him to say all this. But McLean finds some C4 while he's talking to McLean, and then he drops the infamous, or I always say infamous. It's not infamous, I suppose. The famous line, the yippee Kaye mf because uh, Gruber is calling him a cowboy at this time. Yeah. You know, a, American cowboy. And <laughs> and John says, yeah, I'm a cowboy like Roy Rogers. yippee Kaye, mother. You have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? I don't know who Roy Rogers is, or if he said that line, but there's that. The uh, the Germans have confirmed that all the people are dead, and John has to see four. Uh, Carl Winslow calls over the radio and talks to John and says, "Hey." Uh, what's going on up there? John tells pretty much everything. There are Germans here. I can tell because they're smoking cigarettes or something to that effect. I'm not sure how he knows they are well-funded European terrorists, but he tells Carl all of this. Uh, they give each other cool names. Uh, they're Roy and Al. They're not John and Carl Winslow. So those are the <laughs> names they're going to use over the radio from yeah. henceforth. Um, so the police show up. Powell, Carl Winslow, if you've been following, um, tells them, you know, they he's been talking to a man uh from on the inside. You know, he doesn't really give much. He doesn't I think he says later he just has a hunch, right? So he's yes. been talking to a man on inside and he lets the police know. TV crews show up. I guess these are the news stations. Um, we have Holly McLean, John McLean's wife come in to I guess you say make demands or request for the hostages she has a pregnant co-worker yeah, yeah. Um, she makes another demand I can't recall but it was something about the restrooms you know she was like unless you want a mess you know so alluding to you know we need working services or something um, so she gives her maiden name, excuse me, to the intruder. He he asks her name. She doesn't use McLean yeah. at this point. I, I'm assuming to conceal her identity or her connection. Oh, she's just like I'm. I'm still I, Holly yeah. Gennaro or whatever. Yeah, I'm not McLean. She's she's not claiming that piece of trash from <laughs> that New York name City. Still, um, so they made a point for her to do that. So yeah, she's still not feeling him. I guess. No, I guess so. Or like you said, maybe it was to throw him off the track because they do. They are aware of John's presence. He's yeah. sending dead men down the elevator shaft, so they know somebody is up to something, and he's the only one missing. Either way, using her maiden name works in her favor <laughs> at this point. Uh, they bring some large spotlights, which I was like, why did they do that? Uh, I don't know. Seems like they would, I don't know, want to reduce. Visibility. Visibility. Uh, seems like they escalated things, but I don't think that's too far away from police officers. Sorry. <laughs> yes. uh, they bring a tank. <laughs> sorry. Uh, we yes, see they bring a tiny tank. The intruders, if yeah, so tiny, intruders, intruders they uh, have some missiles. So, you know, they the can't The missiles ready. that John saw. 
Yes. They are now about to use them. To, to good shoot thing, the tank. Good thing we packed those missiles. You know how when you get to the hotel, Woo, I'm glad I packed my charge, boy. Yes, good thing that, we brought those missiles. And C4 and whatever and C4. else. Well, yeah, the C4 has other plans, but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, McLean uses a computer and <laughs> a, a chair to Ex- send. Please explain. Uh, when, what do you mean uses a computer? Explain to well, the people who may have it, not He puts seen. it in the computer or what mm-hmm. did he do? He places the C4 on the seat of an office chair. He then okay. ties a computer monitor to this to make a contraption to keep the C4 together. Gotcha. Uh, this is all he had at his disposal. So I, I guess it works because he, he sends to get it what down. He exactly. The elevator shaft. I didn't think that was very smart. You had the same thought as me because your wife is at the bottom of this building. Or somewhere, like, how do you know? When do you know it it blows? You don't know. know. I don't know much about C4. He's not (laughs) an explosive technician. He's a police officer. So. Why are you doing this? This is a bad idea. Or just thinking that it may be contained to the elevator shaft. Exactly. He almost blew his own face off, mind you. Looking at it. For whatever reason, <laughs> to, to see if it, to see if it blew up, like you wouldn't hear it. Make sure that C four is exploding. So yes, he blows up the bottom floor of uh, Nakatomi Plaza, killing a, a few terrorists in the process. Could have killed a, hot, a lot more, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, the chief radios he's showed up at this time, mind you. The chief of police of Los Angeles police, not the district where John works, three thousand miles away. He's operating on foreign turf, just Is it doing really three thousand miles. New York. To mm-hmm. Plus or minus a thousand miles. The chief tells McLean, hey, stop blowing stuff up. This is sound advice. Let's not blow the building up when you have hostages in there. But it's played like this guy's just a bummer. He's bringing it down. John is getting it done. Why are you coming here with these rules? That is how we're playing it. But Carl Winslow is still on McLean's side or Roy's side. Uh, but he's not hearing any of this. He don't care. He's going to continue. He's kind of sh- just shut up. Shut up, director. You don't know what you're talking about. At this time, Ellis, the cokehead from earlier, comes in to Gruber and says, hey, man, I see that you got somebody. You, he, he's messing up your plan, really getting in your crawl. I got some. He he, using, he did the line like, hey, Bobby. That's a very funny line to me. But anyway, and he does some slight racism at this part, too. He's saying, uh, I know you, if you have a problem with some camel jockeys or some heaps, it's like, boy, you can't make a movie in the 80s without dropping some subtle racism. But anyway, he's doing the regular cokehead stuff. He's being very annoying still. And he says, I can get that guy on the top floor to come down and cease his operations. And Gruber says, sure, why not? I don't care. Dude, you're obviously coked up. You may know something. He he ends up getting shot in the face. <laughs> really, that's the, that's the only part of Ellis. But, uh... He does give Gruber John's real name, so he he just messed up. He messed up everything. Uh, So after after he gives him the name, you know, Gruber can call and it's like, oh, John McClain, such and such. You know, I'm going, I'm going to get you, John. Uh, (laughs) But this also sets up the the secondary plot of 
when that goes over the radio, the newscasters, newscast, newscasters heard John McClane, and they're going to go do some reconnaissance and find out what they can find about this rogue cowboy Yipikaye in upstairs. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, we have the FBI that finally shows up. Um, we have a Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> Those agents, one black, one white. I guess is I don't know. It's supposed to be for comedic effect. I guess. Or Did you? But you hear when, when uh, one on period at the phone? Uh, it was like he the they, somebody called him. And he was on the phone. It's like it's Johnson. No, the other one. Oh, no. It's so stupid. He's, uh, I think the, the the black Johnson said no relation. Know, yeah, yeah. That, no relation. But I, I don't remember the phone call part. Whatever his name, I don't know. He was on Hollywood Shuffle, the black guy, oh, and okay. colors. So okay. he was doing stuff in the eighty. So Hans uh, runs into McClane, actually, and he starts faking an American accent. He pretends that you know he's a hostage. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I I didn't yeah I didn't say oh I didn't I apologize. Well, he was on the way to check this. Was, yeah, this, this what happened after after Hunt. I apologize. Let's let's rewind a, a bit. Oh, the chief has told John to stop doing what he's doing. Like I say, he's doing his thing upstairs. Gruber has his name now, but at this time, Gruber jumps on the radio and says, "I have some demands. You're going to release these political prisoners, and we want some helicopters, and we need it in two hours." This is a interesting point. This is why you do not negotiate with terrorists because they are ridiculous people. But Hans tells Carl to go find, go find McLean with the detonators. He's already blew up the C4, but at least he has the detonators on him. I'm going to go check the explosives. So Hans leaves. He goes upstairs, and that's where we are now. Still, yeah. So, so yeah, the FBI Johnson and Johnson showed up to lead. Uh, this investigation, Hans runs into McLean now that he's gone to uh, check the explosives. Again, he fakes that accent, pretends to be a hostage. John makes him stay with him, you know, because he pretends like, you know, I, I guess like I have to get back to the group, but he makes him stay. Hans gives a fake name. Uh, McLean checks the directory. Uh, you know, similar, similar, I guess, to at the beginning when they right, had to right. check the directory to see where his wife was, and he realizes that Hans is using, uh, that he's lying. Right? He's he's using a name for somebody that's not there. McLean gives Hans a gun. You know, still playing like, oh, you're gonna need this. You're a hostage. Right. We right. both need a gun. It doesn't have any bullets. And Hans does, you know, test it out, right? Because he was going to try to shoot him, but it doesn't have any bullets. And so a shootout begins, of yes, course. Yes. Another shootout. Another shootout. How That's many? a lot of bullets in this movie. It's a, it's That's where the budget went. To bullets. Blanks and, and <laughs> whatever else they were destroying on set. Yes. Uh, the, some Bruce of the, Willis lost his hearing. Two-thirds of his hearing in this movie when he shot too close to his ear. Just another interesting thing. Did he gain it back? I don't think so. It said permanent on the thing I saw. Oh wow! Um, Thank you, John. That's an interesting fact. Uh, but they end up shooting the glass because they see that McLean is not wearing shoes. Still, so Hans is like, you know, shoot the glass because, of course, that's gonna, you know, affect his ability to run. And we know he does not have tweezers on this person, so yeah, going to inconvenience. A him. lot of glass available to go into his feet. So they get the detonators, uh, Hans and the other intruder or whatever call Winslow Al pal 
he shares um on the radio with McLean that at some point he shot a 13-year-old in the dark. John um asks him, I guess just uh trying to I don't, I don't even know why he asked this question, but he asked him why he was on desk duty. Right, right, John right. John right. asked Al slash Carl Winslow, why was he <laughs> on desk duty? Um what did he say about his do you have flat yeah, feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um and then Carl, like I said, or Al goes into shooting a thirteen year old in the dark in the past and and you know him not being able to draw his gun yeah. on anybody um we're, we're he, meant to feel bad about cause extrajudicial execution of a 13 year old it's like oh man he's really down in the dumps after killing somebody yeah he said he I'm couldn't sorry. bring i <laughs> couldn't bring myself to draw my gun on anyone so that's why he's on death duty because he apparently unlawfully shot. Well, we don't, we don't know, know if it's, it's unlawful. unlawful. Well, he said it's an accident. So, yeah, he it's said, unlawful. Yeah, a 13-year-old. You know, what's an accident to a police officer? He still has a job, so. He still has his uh, job. That's real. And he is. <laughs> real life. Orchestrating this entire operation. Because they still hadn't sent him home. The the chief tried to send him. He was like, well, you can get out of here. And Carl Winslow said, well, I'm not leaving. I don't know. You could just, you could do whatever you want to in LAPD, apparently. But I'm not going to go into all of that. Yeah, the FBI wants to, and they do, they shut down uh, the power grid. I think they said it would shut down like 10, 10 blocks, blocks or, something. or something like that. A Danny Ocean style uh, blackout. So when they did that, because, um, you know, Trevette from Walker, Texas Ranger <laughs> is still trying to uh, with their last get this lock. vault open. So when they shut down the grid, the final lock for the vault opens. So, yeah, they helped. Push that along. The FBI calls for a helicopter mm-hmm. um, and for the return of Hans Gruber's comrades. So, you know, they're giving in to So it seems to his demands. demands. But, yeah. you know, it's the FBI. So we have that uh, where the LAPD, LAPD are the good guys in this movement. It's always the FBI is the bad cops, you know, in every scenario. Yeah, always that opposition between local authorities and right. the And they FBI. never explain why they could just take over either. It's not a federal building. I, I don't, don't know. Uh, uh. If, if it's suspected terroristic activity, oh, maybe do so. they take over? Maybe that's I, what it I, is. I don't know. But they only sent two guys. Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. But John goes upstairs uh, after this whole helicopter thing. John's whole thing is interrupted by his uh, nemesis call. They are uh, are meeting. Carl says, we're professionals. We're going to do this like professionals because Carl has to drop on him. He's going to shoot John in the face with a gun, but he says, we're going to duke it out like men. And they get in a punching match with some of the worst sound effects you can have. We're both professionals. This is personal. But we we flash back. Hans Gruber sees the uh, baby on TV. Baby McClain. They have now put her on the television. He figures out some kind of way that 
that is Holly's child and Holly and John are an item and they get all that together. And he uh, he takes her as an additional hostage, put it off the side. He's, she's his special little hostage. Uh, he He's going to try to tell John that I got your wife, but he's still fighting Carl at this time. He He's giving Carl the business. Carl with a K, mind you. I'm not talking about Carl Winslow. Just Carl the German. And he tells Carl, I'm going to kill you, cook you, and eat you. It's a very weird line to say to a person. I don't. Uh, he's adrenaline's pumping. His feet are bloody. He's been shot. Carl does pick the gun back up and shoot him through his shoulder uh, in their little fisticuffs. But then he uh, gets the best of him and hangs Carl from a chain. Well, the uh, TV crew got into the house because they threatened the nanny. That's yes. how Hans actually gets to see McLean's children on TV. The nanny doesn't want to let them in, which rightfully so. Um, I'm here to protect these children. And they threaten her or the man, the TV or the newscaster, threatens her with a call to INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service. So I thought that was yeah, I mean, something. Yeah, he's going to get his story. Yeah, at, at any cost. And it's like, mm, Yeah. If it was kind of. Very American to. To, turn yes. a government agent against uh, a, a lady because you didn't get what you wanted. Yes. I mean, are, are the McLeans hiring illegal help? I don't know if she's illegal, but I know that he made the assumption. And if we, that we know was. that if even she ain't. <laughs> exactly. Who wants the authorities called and having yeah. to deal with that? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting that they made a point to threaten the nanny. And I guess maybe it's real. I'm sure. You know, people people do that. Um, so those helicopters arrive, right? The helicopters yeah, yeah. you've been That's so the part speaking I, yeah, I was, yeah, about. Yeah. I, I I jumped ahead, but go ahead. Helicopters arrive. You can start there. Uh, yeah, the FBI uh, brings, or they they mention Saigon. Um, yeah. The white Johnson mentions uh, Saigon, and the black Johnson says that you know they'll be good with. 25% of the hostages dying. Correct. So they're expecting some death from this situation. Yeah. Like I say, the, uh, their whole plan was to do an ambush style and they were like, Hey man, hostages could die with your little plan. He was like, well, it'd be about 25%. We could deal with that. Yeah. So McLean sees, you know, the helicopters, he orders them, the hostages back into the building because the roof is going to blow. Right. And um, McLean wraps a hose, you know, action figure fashion. He wraps a hose around himself um, so he can jump from the building. He jumps from the top of the building while it's blowing. The roof is blowing up. Correct. And, uh, you know, this has to be a great building because C4 has gone down the elevator shaft. They built, they really built it. Yes. Not to tell me it's built to last. This, this this building is really good. And now the roof is blowing up. Um, <laughs> he hasn't killed any hostages. They all get in the building before this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So some FBI agents die in the process. Uh, we see Trevet, I guess you could say, from Walker, Texas Rangers trying to get away in an ambulance. I guess he's like, okay, this is not working. Right, you right. Know, he's the smart guy. Everything in this is whole going situation. down. Yeah, he was the smart one. Everything um, is gone to crap, all because of John McClain. And John McClain's limo driver, Argyle, stops the ambulance from leaving. We find out that Hans's plan was uh, for the authorities to believe that he died in the building explosion. That's what he wanted everybody to think. Um, McLean ends up shooting Hans and Hans falls to his death. He latches on to Holly's watch and that was yeah. that the watch that uh yeah, that she got that as a present yeah for doing good business apparently they used to give you watches as a gift in the 80s so so yeah we see that slow fall i guess you say the stereotypical the villain that trope uh, or whatever yeah. yeah the villain takes a, a slow fall and i mean we are Near the end, we see paper fall from the building like snow, of course. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's a Christmas so that's, movie. Let's keep that in the mind. The paper falls. It looks like snow. Um, we see Mrs. McClain take her name back. So she's no longer, what's her maiden name? I think it's Gennaro or something. It's, uh, we'll say Mrs. G, G is now <laughs> Mrs. McClain again. She takes her name back. Uh, Al Powell slash Carl, Carl Winslow. Winslow sees that. What was it? Call the blonde. Call is not still dead. Still not died. I, mind you, he's been hanging from a, a chain. chain. Was yeah, I don't know how he got out of minutes. it. How he got out of a, a chain around he, his neck. Die hard. Everybody it's in this hard movie to die. is hard to kill. Hard to and kill. It's hard to die. Um, he sees Call trying to uh, shoot at McLean again, and. He's able to use his gun now. I Redemption. Guess, guess he had enough light for this shooting. <laughs> then McLean's, uh, the McLean's kiss and make up. McLean doesn't get any medical attention. We know that at the least he probably has an infection growing. He definitely, his, feet. his feet are going to <laughs> Full fall off. Glass. He gets no medical attention. No TV time. Yeah, no maybe questioning. It, it just happens after. Maybe so, but I know they hop in the limo <laughs> that he uh, had bring him to the building, and they drive off. Going to see the kids. Yeah. What a wild Christmas Eve. Yes. At and a Christmas party, nonetheless. That's the end. Yeah, John blew up the building. Then the terrorists blew up the building. But we only lost, uh, what? Was it terrorists. hostages? Ellis oh, got shot, FBI, uh, and the FBI guys got shot. We only got, I think, I think I counted nine, no, seven on-screen deaths. So not too bad. I could be wrong, but I, don't, I think I only counted seven. Uh, now, who collateral damage? Who knows? I mean, the, the building was still standing. It was still standing. It was Good unfinished, work. right? Because well, they had the base in because that mother did not move. But wasn't he in some parts that weren't done, John? Yeah, he went yeah. up to some floors that hadn't been done yet. So, what you mean, said, the building was correct. Uh, Fox Plaza. Yeah, so they, I guess they used that. But yes, um, yeah, nice little backdrop. So, what you think, uh, Stel? Final thoughts, so we can get out of here. Could have been shorter. I do, like this episode, huh? Like this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, I guess you say stereotypical eighties. I think it cop. set the mold for a lot of movies to cop follow. Movie. Um, it, it, I, it's nothing, uh, 
particularly groundbreaking about it, I suppose, but it's it's well done. Like I say, some good shots. I, I love the shot when John was in the uh, ventilation shaft. I think everybody knows the shot when he has the cigarette lighter. You know, it's framed well. It's lit. It's a, a nice shot. Um, so there were some other noteworthy shots. I Bruce Willis did not most, but he did a lot of his own stunts up to and including ride the elevator like an insane person. So uh, I guess maybe that made it a little more believable on screen. The special effects, obviously, when Hans fell off the building, you know, it, it aged. You can tell it's not the best. Uh, but other than that, a lot of it still holds up to me. Uh, nobody was too cartoonish. Argyle was a good side character. He was funny in his little parts. when he showed. That's the limo driver, Argyle. Uh, yeah. The Germans, there are they were being of... Germans. Like you said, the, the stereotypical stuff, but it wasn't so cheesy as... I wouldn't want to watch it again. It still holds up for me. I'll probably watch. watch I'm going to watch number three, watch obviously. Around Christmas time. Yeah, why not? Let's let's Christmas let's make a plan to drink eggnog and watch Die Hard. Do you want to watch it again? Or you you kind of you got your John McClane feel. Um, I don't need to see the first one. I I can watch the. the we we'll watch the rest. Ones. I have we'll them on the, the third one. Yeah, I have yeah. them on a DVD set, obviously, because there you go. This yeah. is what we do. I, I'm I'm fully dedicated dedicated to the craft of providing quality podcasting material for you to enjoy, listeners. That that being said, like, subscribe, share. Get get get, get everybody in on. Don't just keep it to yourself. We we understand. You know, y'all want to, you know, hold us down to your own, put us in your little box. I get it. We're awesome. But let us be awesome with everybody. If your granny don't know how to use social media and platforms, teach her just so she can I don't want her to learn anything else. But how to like, subscribe, and share, share. <laughs> the Let's View It Again podcast. But if you don't have anything else, Steph. That's it for me. We're going to get out of here. I'm Gene. I'm Steph. This was 1988. Die Hard. Hard to Kill. Hard to Die. Starting Duncomper Bruce Willis. Till next time. Till next time, y'all. Bye. <laughs>